Guess what it is? It's almost fantasy football playoff time, baby. It's almost that time of the year. And we're back on the PNC Dynasty podcast with your host, Smith, because our overlord, Vincenzo, decided that real life was more important than putting together this podcast. Shame on him, right? Shame on him. I mean, we should have an overlord that puts this podcast ahead of everything else, and he has failed to do that. So, Vinny, shame on you, but have no fear. I am here to pick up the slack. That's how this works. We're going to go through some of the week 13 games that I found to be interesting. A lot of them weren't that interesting, frankly. We do have some key takeaways from those games, specifically some players. We'll talk a little bit about the week 14 matchups as this is the last week of the regular season. There's one playoff spot. Up for grabs in the PNC Dynasty between Chris and Andy. We'll get into that. There's still some last place implications. Three teams could still mathematically become the last place team that has to go on a date with Donna. I think it's known who is in last place and who will, but you never know with these kinds of things. So we'll leave it up to just break it down in this podcast. Let's get right into it. We'll go through each game from week 13. Just break it all down. First game of the week, Dallas and New Orleans. I mean, there's really not much to take away from this game, right? Except that Taysom Hill is a more Konami code quarterback than Jalen Hurts is, which is hard to do. I mean, I haven't been particularly impressed with Jalen Hurts as a quarterback, a lot of his production has come in the fourth quarter, has come within two scores or more difference. The statistics prove it. I've seen it all over Twitter. But that's what Jalen Hurts can do with his rushing ability, with his passing ability when defenses are playing soft coverage. Taysom Hill takes that to a whole new level. And Parker picked him up. I got to see how much money it was for. It was, I think, about $10, if I'm not mistaken. Picked him up for $10. Taysom Hill, 19 for 41. Ugh. Four touchdowns. Ugh. 25 points almost. What? What? That's right. 25 points for a guy who had less than a 50% completion percentage and threw four interceptions. You want to know why? The man had 101 rushing yards. 101. I mean, that's that's incredible. That's incredible. And that is the definition of a Konami code quarterback, more so than Jalen Hurts. So Taysom Hill, we're not a fan of him in real life, but in fantasy, he's viable. And I hate to say that because Parker went from having barely one viable fantasy quarterback in Carson Wentz to two viable quarterbacks in Russell Wilson and Taysom Hill. So it's painful. Taysom Hill is Jalen Hurts, but worse. And the fact that he is good at fantasy, I hate that. I hate that. Really nothing to talk about with the receivers. Deontay Harris 
I mean, congratulations. He's he's a fast, he's an explosive player. He's not going to be the number one moving forward. He's not that kind of player. He's the Z receiver for that team. He's going to play that Tyreek Hill role. Obviously not as good as Tyreek Hill, but that's the kind of position that he's in. And you got to keep in mind that he's now got a three-game suspension for a DUI. So he lost that appeal. He's suspended. He's done for a majority of the playoffs in fantasy football. Not that it would matter because he's on Pete's team. We'll get to that in a little bit. But he's the biggest receiver. C.D. Lamb, you figured that he and Gallup would have some pretty big games with the Mark Cooper still not being 100%. That's exactly what happened. 13 targets for C.D. Lamb. Dude's a stud. He's a stud. He could very well be the wide receiver one or two. I think it's a conversation between him and Chase. Jefferson, I want to put in there, but I think he's a pretty solid wide receiver three in the dynasty rankings. Michael Gallup is going to be an alpha for somebody. That's the bottom line. I mean, this dude makes some really spectacular plays. Now, the numbers for him against man coverage aren't that great. So there's a possibility he's a fake alpha and some team like Philadelphia or someone pays him like Kenny Galladay to be this alpha that can beat man-to-man coverage. And he really hasn't done that this year. But he did show some really incredible route running and catching ability. Those hands were fantastic on Thursday night. You saw the highlights, the toe-touch grab. I mean, what what a play by Michael Gallup, right? But in Dynasty, we're holding on to him with the anticipation that maybe it goes to a team that needs another alpha. What if Mike Williams leaves the Chargers? Michael Gallup would be an excellent number two alongside Keenan Allen. If they don't trust Josh Palmer with with that role moving forward, Michael Gallup could very well be that guy. Tight ends. Again, Dalton Schultz is the guy to own here out of the Saints and, and Cowboys. Jarwin's on the IR. Probably not going to be back this year. Dalton Schultz has looked good this year. He's an athletic guy. He produced last year with Blake Jarwin out, with Dak Prescott out. He's produced with every quarterback that he's played with, and that counts for something. So, and Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott. That's the one last thing I want to discuss here. Look, Ezekiel Elliott is clearly not himself. So I'm not holding him being ineffective against him right now. I don't think that's fair to him. But you can't help but admit Tony Pollard is an incredibly explosive player. And should anything happen to Elliott, In my opinion, I think he is the number one handcuff in fantasy football. I think he's better than Madison. As much as I love Madison and he breaks tackles, he's not the athlete Tony Pollard is, frankly. And Tony Pollard has shown when he's got that starter's workload, he's a locked and loaded running back one. So if they give Elliott a game off, if let's say they secure this NFC East, It may not just be week 18 that they arrest Elliott. It could be week 17, maybe even week 16 at this point. And for Haj, you you pray to God that's not the case. You pray to God that because they played on Thursday, that Elliott comes back next Sunday and he's ready to roll. But that remains to be seen. Ah. Buccaneers and Falcons. I mean, Tom Brady's the QB one. 
Tom Brady is the freaking QB1. It's not Jalen Hurts. It's not Lamar Jackson. It's not Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady was going as the 8th or ninth quarterback in best ball drafts on underdog this year. I mean, that's that's preposterous. And he's doing a lot of this dink and dunk stuff. He's really not throwing the ball that far down the field. I think his average attempt is like 6 yards, which is ridiculously low. But when you've got... Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans, and Leonard Fournette, who I'll get to in a moment. It's it's hard not to be elite. And it's Tom Brady, too. I mean, let's not discount the fact this is Tom Brady. But he's doing Dink and Dunk, and he's doing it very effectively. And the rare chance where he actually throws the ball down the field, he's been incredible. That's That's where Mike Evans does his best work. So... Tom Brady, QB1, perhaps for the rest of the season, it's a possibility. That schedule, he does play Carolina two times for the rest of the season, but he also plays the Jets. He plays the Saints, who really are not a good pass defense, despite what they did against Dak Prescott. And he does go up against Buffalo, but that's at home. It's Tom Brady, and he's shown time and time again that it doesn't matter who he plays. He's going to be good for at least 12 points i think there's one game this year where he didn't surpass 12 fantasy points and it happened to be against new england funny enough but he has scored double digit points every single game and the fact that we give equal points for passing touchdowns as we do rushing touchdowns in this league really helps out tom brady because he's not going to win on the ground obviously he's got one rushing touchdown but He's got 34 passing touchdowns, which is obviously elite. So big fan of Tom Brady for the rest of the way. Andy is absolutely insane if he doesn't start him um, against Buffalo. I know it's a tough matchup, but Andy, please don't not start Tom Brady. I know you got Dak Prescott. I know you want to go that route. I know you're seriously considering it because Tom Brady's going up against the Bills. Don't do it, Andy. Please. Please start Tom Brady. Leonard Fournette, I mean, my God, my God. Everyone said he was fat, he's slow, he sucks, that Ronald Jones is a better running back, and oh my, have the tables have turned. Um, Listen, folks, Ronald Jones was never good. Never was good. It was a fallacy last year. He was putting up some of the best performances of his career. And that's the way it's going to stay because not once this year has Ronald Jones surpassed a 42% snap share. And he had his second lowest snap share of the season against Atlanta, 3%, 3%. He had one carry and he had one target. Okay. He's dust. Leonard Fournette not only looks good, he looks as good as when he came out of LSU, when he was this highly touted prospect, this almost Bo Jackson-like running back. Now, look, I'm never going to defend drafting a running back in the first round. I think it's ridiculous. And you're seeing teams like New England and so many other teams enjoy the benefit of running backs drafted late. Austin Eckler, I believe, was undrafted. Elijah Mitchell, six-round pick. James Robinson, undrafted. You don't need to draft a running back to be productive. 
And you certainly don't need to draft one in the first round. Look at all the guys that won the second round. Javante Williams, Cam Akers, Jonathan Taylor. All right. These are DeAndre Swift. These are guys that are cornerstones at the running back position that did not go in the first round. So I digress. Leonard Fournette is a stud. <laughs> okay. He's a stud. Behind this offensive line that is the best in football. And along with his receiving ability, with a check down guy like Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette for me is a top three or four. Yeah, probably three running back. Top three running back in fantasy football the rest of the way. And you know what? I think he's a top five running back next year. I think he comes back with Tampa Bay. And just watch the fireworks happen. Leonard Fournette is just incredible. He's incredible. We move over to the receivers. We, really nothing to dissect here. Godwin and Evans, they're bosses. I like Godwin more in Dynasty. He's younger. He's more explosive. He's separating far more from his defenders than Mike Evans is. Mike Evans has been ridiculously lucky in terms of the touchdown rate. That's going to come down. I was advocating against drafting Mike Evans as a top 12 wideout in best ball leagues this year because... There was going to be more target competition. And even with Antonio Brown missing a majority of these games, he's relied heavily on touchdowns to be productive. And he's been averaging a decent amount of targets a game. That's not necessarily the, the issue here. The issue is that he's not necessarily that good in the short and intermediate routes. It's the deep routes where he's been good this year. He's acted more like the Z receiver this year, whereas Godwin has performed more like the X. And I'm sorry, I'd rather go with the alpha profile of Chris Godwin over Mike Evans in Dynasty. But for this year, both are rock solid. Rock solid. And you know what? It's okay Mike Evans is a high touchdown rate. You know why? Because it's the Buccaneers, and they score a lot of touchdowns, and that's okay. Rob Gronkowski, though, I mean, whenever he's healthy and at least 85%, he's going to be great. He's going to be great. Think of how many games he's missed this year. He's still a borderline tight end one, which is preposterous. Okay, He is Tom Brady's favorite target in the red zone, more so than Mike Evans. And he looks as good as ever. He has not lost a step at 32 years old. He and Travis Kelsey are buck, 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 bucking the trend here. Get You see what I did there? Bucking the trend here for tight ends. And they're not showing signs of slowing down. Gronkowski and Kelsey, if they want, I think could be super productive into their mid-30s. I mean, what's to stop them from being that productive? If they were going to fall off a cliff, wouldn't that have happened by now? Just a thought. I mean, the Falcons, there's, again, nothing to really write home about here. Okay, Matt Ryan is... I think he's done. I, I hate to say it. I like Matt Ryan. I think he's a good quarterback. He has no offensive line helping him, but he's done. He's done. Cord Cordero Patterson. This is the guy that... Uh, it's, it's honestly incredible what he's been able to do this year because he was this... The second coming of Devin Hester in special teams. He's now the RB6. The RB freaking six, and he's got wide receiver eligibility. 
I mean, what an absolute cheat code of a player. But the guy I do want to focus on right now is Russell Gage. Russell Gage is the receiver to own in Atlanta. I'm just going to read off some of the targets that he's gotten since week nine. Here are the target counts. Eight, three, eight, seven, and 12 in week 13. Caught 11 of 12 passes thrown his way this past week for 130 yards. 130 yards. Finishes with 21 points. He would have had 24 had he not lost that fumble. Russell Gage was a victim of a crowded receiving room at LSU when he was there and was consequently not that productive. Not productive at all, really. And from an analytics perspective, was not a guy that teams were targeting that high in drafts. But his combine metrics were impressive. He is fast. He's agile. He's got good burst. And he's six foot. He's not 175 pounds. He's 184 pounds. He's not a big receiver. He's not a small receiver either. He's, I think, a very athletic wide receiver. And the biggest indicator of talent, in my opinion, with a receiver is their snap share and their target share. And specifically for the snaps that you're out there, what is your target rate? And that has been going up and up and up for Russell Gage. Now, what happens when Kyle Pitts is fully unlocked? And what happens when Calvin Ridley comes back? I don't know. And that's why this is more of a rest of the season analysis on Russell Gage than anything. But Russell Gage is someone that you want to own in single season leagues. And in Dynasty, if you can enjoy some more weeks of production, and there's no reason to think otherwise, he could become a trade chip. He could very well become a trade chip. So I do like Russell Gage, but that's all for this game. I mean, the Falcons suck, bottom line. They need to rebuild. They need to trade Matt Ryan. They got to do whatever they got to do to make that happen. Cardinals and Bears. Really nothing to drive home about. Kyler Murray is healthy. That's what we love to see. James Conner, you know, I've been saying time and time again that this touchdown rate is not sustainable. But you know what? It's been sustainable. He's doing it. And he's doing it through the air. Now, I have to admit, I don't think James Conner is that good of a running back. But his receiving ability is better than what I thought it was. I have to take the L on that one. Okay. And I also thought he was toast when he left Pittsburgh. He looked slow. He did not look like the James Conner that we came to appreciate in fantasy football. But since Chase Edmonds went down and that receiving back role has not been seized by Eno Benjamin, Conner has really stepped up. He stepped up in a big way. The last four games, he's gotten five, four, six, and two targets. And he caught both targets in this game, had a touchdown. Look, I don't think his rushing ability is really anything to write home about. He's averaging 3.8 yards per carry, which is below the league average. And that's with a good offensive line. So I want to take this performance with a grain of salt. 
but he is a better receiver that I gave him credit for. So I will admit that. All right, Vinny, because I know, oh, but James Conner, he's the he's the RB five in standard leagues, RB ten in PPR. Well, that's fantastic. But again, how much of that has been buoyed by his touchdowns? He's got twelve rushing touchdowns, two receiving touchdowns. Okay, that's the most by a wide margin. And that's been without Chase Edmonds for the past several weeks. Now, Chase Edmonds is supposed to come back. He is supposed to come back. And as good as James Conner has looked in the receiving game, when he's had these high workloads where he's on the field 75% or more of the time, this is when he gets injured. This is when he's vulnerable. And frankly, any running back that plays that many snaps is vulnerable to injury. So it's in the Cardinals' best interest to split that work between Edmonds and Connor. And that's why I think Connor's going to be more of a borderline RB2, RB3 the rest of the way. Even if he still maintains this lead back status with the Cardinals, which if you look at his usage before Edmonds went down, I'm not sure that's the case. Again, there's really nothing to break down about this game, though. I mean, Kyler Murray had 15 pass attempts, so the targets are going to look awful for all the Cardinals receivers. I'm not looking into it. I really am not. The Bears are done. I mean, just fire Matt Nagy for God's sake. Just rip the Band-Aid off. Just rip it off. They refuse to do it, and... It's just boring game plan after boring game plan. Even with Andy Dalton, it's you expect boring, and yet it still somehow is more boring than you thought it would be. So the Bears are in a lot of trouble. Um, Allen Robinson, I don't know if he's going to play another game for this team. I mean, he very well could, but it might just be one of those things where, you know what, you guys have messed with me so much. I'm not putting myself out there for a team that's not making the playoffs. And for the record, this team is not making the playoffs. Okay, I've seen some things on Twitter saying the Bears could go on a streak and make the playoffs. Yeah, okay. Okay. They'd have to win out to have a winning record. And I don't see that happening, frankly. I do not see them getting five more wins. It's it's just not going to happen. And with Justin Fields... This needs to be time for him and Montgomery and Mooney to mold together and to learn together. Okay, the playoffs is not the goal here. And if they they continue to start Andy Dalton because they're trying to make the playoffs, you know that this coaching staff is on the way out. That's the takeaway for them. Chargers and Bengals. Um, look, the Chargers, the fact they're 7-5 and five almost feels like a disappointment. They should be better than this they've had some close games where the offense just isn't on par with what it usually is that was not the case this week though justin herbert 31 points through the air 317 passing yards austin eckler had a relatively quiet game but this game was pretty much decided very early on so i'm not really looking too much into that he still had five targets and if you're a Austin Eckler, dynasty owner. You, you're probably thinking his snap share is hovering between 60 and 75% per game. 
and you're thinking, well, I'd love to have him out there more and more. But frankly, I think over the long haul, you're going to be thanking Brandon Staley and the Chargers for keeping Austin Eckler with this snap share. Because as much as we love fantasy football, this team is trying to win a Super Bowl. And if you run Austin Eckler into the ground and he's barely 200 pounds, we've seen guys like this erode over the course of a season, you're setting him up for failure. So the fact that they're not running him into the ground, I do appreciate that. I really do. So Austin Eckler, fire him up as the top five RB the rest of the way. Keenan Allen is awesome. You don't need me to tell you that. T. Higgins is awesome. For the Bengals, you don't need me to tell you that. But honestly, there's not much else to take away from this game. I mean, Bengals kind of had just a bad showing. And that's okay. You can have bad showings once in a while. That is a thing that happens. But, you know, Joe Burrow seems to be fine after the pinky. Mixon seems to be fine. But... Yeah, I mean, this this workload that Mixon has been getting is worrisome, to say the least. I mean, 30 touches week 11, 28 in week 12, plus four targets. And then, you know, week 13, he gets 19 carries. I mean, this is a, a huge workload for a guy that has not been completely healthy throughout his career. So I almost would hope for the Bengals' sake, that they reduce that workload. They've got Samaje Piran, who's a fine backup. Try to get him involved just a little bit more. And you just don't want to see Joe Mix get hurt. Now, he got hurt in this game. He came back. But that should almost be like a red flag to the Bengals. Like, you, you avoided a major injury. Now, let's not try to put him back in that predicament. The Lions. The Lions. They did it, folks. They won a game. And what more did we expect between the Vikings and the Tigers? The Tigers. The Lions. The Vikings won on a walk-off field goal against the Lions. As always, they win or lose by... Basically, in the last five seconds of the game, it feels like every single game. It's a one-possession game. And the Lions have won almost four or five separate games. I mean, the Lions would be in a much more interesting position in the playoff picture had they won at least more than half of their close games, which are more than you'd think. But Jared Goff can win a game for a team once in a while. I mean, he is a former top two pick, and he's not that good. Like, let's be very clear. But he can lead a team to a win once in a while. And I was very encouraged by Amon Ross St. Brown's usage. 12 targets. I mean, bravo to the Lions for t- getting him and Josh Reynolds as the main targets alongside TJ Hawkinson. You know, a lot of that had to do with DeAndre Swift being out for this game. And he could very well be out week 14, maybe even week 15. He could be back this week. I don't know. But... The name of the game in the NFL is utilizing your best players as effective as possible. And with DeAndre Swift out, they got Hawkinson involved. They got St. Brown involved. They got Reynolds involved. Those are their three best receivers outside of Swift. And I got to be honest, I really love Dan Campbell, the coach. 
He went for it on fourth down in his own territory in the fourth quarter at his own 30-yard line, and he didn't get it. But at the same time, the analytics at that time, I think, suggested that, you know what, let's go for it. Because even if the Vikings get it, they can't burn a whole lot of clock because they only have 30 yards to work with. And if they score points, so be it. We can still go and get another possession with plenty of time to get a touchdown. You know what? It worked. So I have a lot more faith in Dan Campbell as a head coach than I did last week this time. And look, I think for the rest of the season, Amon Ross St. Brown, assuming Swift is not going to be back anytime soon, he could finish as a borderline wide receiver two, wide receiver three, just based on the conservation of targets. They have to go somewhere. And St. Brown is probably the best receiver on this roster. It could be Josh Reynolds. So this is a quasi Amon Ross St. Brown and Josh Reynolds promotion for the rest of the season. So Justin Jefferson now with Adam Thielen presumably out for a little bit. Uh, he could very well finish the season as the wide receiver one. Um, I mean, what can't this guy do? Seriously. Uh, 14 targets, 11 receptions, 182 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, bravo. Bravo, Justin Jefferson. KJ Osborne, probably the biggest beneficiary of Adam Thielen going down. Seven targets, four receptions, 47 yards, and a touchdown. I am not sold that KJ Osborne is just going to step right into this Adam Thielen role. He's a very different receiver from Adam Thielen. And I think you're going to see them try to get D.D. Westbrook involved a little bit more. I think Kenny Nwangu could actually get some slot opportunities as an incredibly explosive athlete who has shown incredible talent on kick returns. I think he could get a shot. So... I don't think it's a one-for-one one swap between Osborne and Thielen, so be mindful of that. And, I mean, Tyler Conklin has very quietly been a very solid tight end this year. Um, he's a borderline tight end one, and you could have gotten him for free at the beginning of the season when Irv Smith went down. Everyone was worried that Chris Herndon, you remember that name, Chris Herndon, would seed or, or, or take targets away from Tyler Conklin? Well, that was fun while it lasted. So if you have Tyler Conklin as your second or third tight end, you're certainly enjoying that. The Colts and Texans. I mean, the Texans just flat out suck. They flat out suck. And the fact that not only do they suck, but that they're giving all these opportunities to these old, dusty, done guys. I mean, Rex Burkhead. Rex freaking Burkhead leads this team in carries with eight carries for 30 yards. What are you going to learn out of this game from Rex Burkhead? I, I simply do not understand it. Chris Conley, four targets. Nico Collins, one target. Why in God's green earth are you giving more targets to Chris Conley, who is done. He's done. Finito. Over Nico Collins, who was your top draft pick, who you traded up to get, who has an alpha profile, is an incredibly explosive and big receiver. Why? Because ineptitude. 
And unless you're Nico Collins or Brevin Jordan or I guess Davis Mills, I picked up Davis Mills. Unless you're one of those three guys or you have Brandon Cooks, you have no business owning anyone else on this team. Rex Burkhead, leave him on waivers. David Johnson, drop him. I mean, just launch this team into the sun, honestly. What an inept, stupid, dumb organization. Come on, Texans. Come on. Colts, I mean, not only does Jonathan Taylor have an incredible offensive line, but he's averaging way more yards over expected which is a metric that looks at what the average break tackle rate is versus when you're first made contact with with a defender. Jonathan Taylor is the best running back in football. He is the running back one in Dynasty. It's not a conversation. DeAndre Swift is probably a very distant RB2. Javante Williams, RB3. What? Did I say that? Yes, I did. So... It's not close. I think Jonathan Taylor combines workload with efficiency. He's an incredible athlete. He does some damage in the receiving game. He's awesome. He's frankly awesome. Uh, Michael Pittman, you know, I want to say that I'm fully in on Michael Pittman, but there's something about him that I just, I don't know about him because I don't think he's very good with contested catches. I think he's force fed the ball a lot by Carson Wentz. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think he's a good player, but for all these people saying that he is a bonafide wide receiver to borderline wide receiver one in dynasty, I don't see it. I don't see it. This team frankly does not have much competition for targets He's basically a very, very clear-cut number one receiver on that team. But, you know, the fact he's not a wide receiver one, given the competition for targets in that offense, and considering how much they actually do pass, I don't I, I don't know what to make of Michael Pittman. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a great player. And I don't think he's this alpha that you can count on as a bona fide wide receiver one in Dynasty. Prove me wrong, Michael Pittman. Prove me wrong. The guy I do want to talk about here is Ashton Doolin. Ashton Doolin is a better athlete than Michael Pittman, but he's smaller than Michael Pittman. He comes from a much smaller school than Michael Pittman. But when we're looking at prospects in the draft that come from small schools, you almost have to be incredibly productive and elite at that school to be considered. Ashton Doolin was so productive in college that he was being considered as a fifth or sixth round draft pick. Now he ended up going undrafted, but Ashton Doolin is a remarkably athletic player. And did you see that catch he made for that touchdown grab on Sunday? The toe tapper. I mean, what a catch, what a catch. So if Ashton Doolin becomes what we thought Paris Campbell could be, which I think is very possible at this point, that could be where Michael Pittman seeds two or three targets a game to Ashton Doolin because you hear the coaches and what they're saying and the performance on the field and what the beat beat reporters are saying. Ashton Doolin's going to be a thing. He's going to be a problem for defenders. So... 
Keep that name in the back of your mind. There's really nothing else to talk about with this game. I'm just, I just can't believe how inept the Texans are. Not only are you losing, but you're losing with old players. I mean, my God. What a joke. Dolphins and Giants. Tua is here, folks. Okay, he's an incredibly accurate quarterback, very fast processor, elite throwing the ball over the middle of the field. And what I've been most encouraged by is the mistakes he was making early on the season, he's not making anymore. You know, those mistakes, those really dumb ones where he throws a ball when he's past the line of scrimmage or he throws a ball because he had miscommunication with his with his receiver, he thought his receiver was going one way, the receiver went the other way, and there was a defender right there to intercept the ball. Those mistakes aren't happening anymore. And as he gets more comfortable in the passing game in the short and intermediate routes, that's going to open things up in the deep ball. Now, the Dolphins don't necessarily have anyone that's a deep ball threat. I mean, I love Jalen Waddle, but I think he's best effective with a short A dot where he can do his damage after the catch. They don't have that deep threat. Devontae Parker is not a deep threat. Matt Collins is not a deep threat. Mike Kosicki, low-key, is the best deep threat, and he's a freaking tight end. So Will Fuller was supposed to be that guy for this team. I don't know what's going on with Will Fuller. I don't want to speculate on that, but it's not happening this year. It's very reminiscent of Calvin Ridley and... I don't think Will Fuller will ever be the player that he once was. And that sucks. That really sucks. But my point is that I don't think the Dolphins have that deep threat to punish other teams. So this could very well just be a dink and dunk or intermediate route team for the rest of the way. And you know what? They've been very, very good doing that recently. So is that the worst thing in the world? Maybe not. But... Tua, since he's come back from that injury, has looked awfully impressive. And that's that. Has he been QB 14? No. But he's making improvements, and that's all I can ask for. But I mentioned him before, but Jalen Waddell is awesome. I think he's like a top three or four target leader in the league this year, if I'm not mistaken. I need to actually look this up. So let's look at stats, targets. All right, I'm going to have to look this up, but I'm pretty sure that Jalen Waddell is a leader in targets, a top five target monster. And in this league, a PPR league that we're in, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. Uh, and Jalen Waddle has looked explosive. He's looked the part of a Z receiver in the same mold of Tyree Kill. He's as fast as Tyree Kill, maybe a tad bit slower, but you can say that for everyone in the league. Um, but Jalen Waddle is the truth. He absolutely is the truth. He's a wide receiver one in this league, which I'll just say this. Devontae Smith is not a wide receiver one. <laughs> So you got to keep that in the back of your mind. But very impressed with them. I'm not taking anything out of this game from the Giants. Mike Lennon sucks. Jake Fromm. You might as well see what you have. You know, that's what the 
Washington football team did with Taylor Heineke. That's what the Jaguars did with Gardner Minshew. Who knows? Maybe Jake Fromm can be that guy. I'm not betting on it. He's not a very impressive prospect. Was not one coming out of the draft. I am not betting on it. But you might as well see what you have. So, And I don't really think they have a choice because I think Jones is out. I think Lennon's out. Just see what you have. You have nothing to lose. But point being, Saquon Barkley could have the best game of not only the season, but maybe his career this week? Question mark? I mean, how many times will Jake Fromm be looking Saquon Barkley's way? I think it could be an insane amount of work in the passing year for Saquon Barkley. Almost in the Christian Barkley elk. So be on the lookout for that. Um this week against the Chargers. Hi, I, they're going to have to score points. So they're going to have to pass the ball. They're probably going to be trailing. This is perfect for Saquon. It's perfect for Tony. Perfect for Sterling Shepard. So all in on the Giants guys that are not necessarily deep threats, but guys that Jake Fromm can find two, three, four, five yards down the field and just dunk it off to them. So... Big fan there. Moving on to the Jets and Eagles. The mustache is back, folks. Uh, well, not really. No, this this was a commendable effort by Gardner Minshew. Most of his damage done in the first half, and it was a spectacular first half. So, bravo, Gardner Minshew. We, we love seeing him do well. I love him as a character in the NFL. But make no mistake, Jalen Hurts is still the quarterback moving forward. It's not a competition. Jalen Hurts has shown enough to me as quarterback where he deserves to be the quarterback heading into next year. I don't think he's proven much more beyond that, but hey, um, at least you know you have a good backup quarterback. And that's exactly what it is for Gardner Minshew. He's a very good backup quarterback in this league. So congratulations to Gardner Minshew. Miles Sanders looks great. He's got 24 carries, 120 yards. <laughs> the ankle... Oh, the ankle again. The high ankle sprain. Uh, we hate those. We hate the high ankle sprains. They're never fun. And they linger, as we see. They linger. So, does Miles Sanders play in two weeks? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But this game proves to me that Kenny Gainwell is really good. Okay? Now, I traded for him in the league because I'm a believer in his skill set. He is an incredible receiver. In fact, I think he was the best receiving back coming out of this draft. He's better than ETN, better than Najee Harris. Okay. Now, it was the rushing ability that made him such a question mark, and it was the really bad draft capital. If you remember before the draft, people thought that Kenny Gainwell could be a third or fourth round pick. Well, he ends up going in the fifth round. So the draft capital wasn't great. He went after Michael Carter, who I don't think is as good of a running back as Kenny Gainwell is, frankly. I, I thought he was pre-draft. I, I thought Michael Carter was the better running back heading into the season, but I've seen enough from Gainwell and I've seen enough from Carter where I think Gainwell is probably a better running back. And Gainwell is a top five back in this fantasy draft class, frankly. And that's more of a testament to how 
bad this running back draft class was outside of those top three guys, but Gainwell has some juice in PPR leagues. And he's shown enough on the ground. I mean, 12 carries for 54 yards. Yeah, you'll take that. You'll absolutely take that. So I do believe in Kenny Gainwell. I just don't know if the eight, if the Eagles believe in Kenny Gainwell. That's the issue. That's the wild card here. For the Eagles, I mean, Devontae Smith, we're looking at three really lackluster games recently. And the more this happens, the more I'm skeptical that this can turn into the guy that we wanted him to be. You know, the Heisman winner, you know. Like, uh, okay. Look at the recent Heisman winners and tell me that that's any indication that a player is going to be good. It's not. Newsflash, it's not. Um, But Devontae Smith has really not been this target hog like he was between weeks four and seven when he was averaging, I think, almost like seven targets a game. Since week nine, he's gone 5-4-4-2-2 in the targets. His target share is going down. Or excuse me, I'm sorry. Those were his receptions. His targets between week 10 to week 13, 6-6-4-4. Okay? It's going down for Devontae Smith. It's been going down really since week 7. And he does look really small out there. And you could say, well, he could beat people out on the perimeter. And that's true. But that's exactly what a Z-slot receiver is for. And I do think they're going to either draft or sign a alpha, whether it's Mike Williams in free agency or Traylon Burks or Drake London in the draft. So I I frankly don't think Devontae Smith is a better fantasy wide receiver than Jalen Waddell. I didn't think it at the time of the draft. Um, I... I don't know. I, I just don't see it with Devontae Smith. And the metrics, the separation are fine, but the targets are not there right now. And the metrics are there for Jalen Waddle, and he's looking the part. That's kind of what separates them for me right now. So bigger fan of Waddle than Smith going in uh, to the dynasty. Quez Watkins, though, this is a name to keep an eye on. And Quez was one of the casualties for me in the Kenny Gainwell trade. And I love Quez Watkins. I've talked Quez Watkins up. Chris knows this. I got Chris to start him, I believe, in a uh, DFS lineup, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it was a single season league. I don't remember. But Quez Watkins is the real deal. He's actually clocked a faster time, max speed, in this NFL season than Tyreek Hill. I believe he's the only player to do that. So Quez Watkins can be unleashed by a quarterback that has a good, accurate, deep ball arm. And Jalen Hurts has shown that at times, and he has at other times. But Gardner Minshew has a pretty good arm. Not a great arm, but a good enough arm. And you saw it benefit Quez Watkins. So Dallas Goddard, though, he's got that extension in hand. He's a very athletic player. I love him. I think he's a top seven tight end in Dynasty moving forward. Washington to Las Vegas. 
really nothing to break down here. The only thing I want to talk about in this game is Josh Jacobs. And I have been really encouraged by what I've seen from Josh Jacobs in the last several weeks. Why? Because his target share is going up. In 2019, he was not a receiving back. He averaged almost two targets a game. Last year, it went up by a target, so he was at three targets. Now we're creeping into the four-target-a-game territory, and that's when things start to get very interesting. And not only that, but Jacobs has been very good with the targets that he's gotten. So you could have made a case that Jacobs was moving up in the dynasty rankings for running backs from you know the RB20 range to you know maybe RB15, RB16 now, before Kenyon Drake went down with a broken ankle. So I'm not saying that Josh Jacobs is now a you know mid-range RB2 because Kenyon Drake is down. No, 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 no. He was going down because his target share was going up, even with Kenyon Drake healthy. So rest of the season, I think we're looking at Jacobs as a high-end RB2 dynasty, looking more as a mid-range RB2 with you know, NFL draft capital behind him. One other play I will talk about is Antonio Gibson. He was a huge letdown for a large chunk of the season, but since that bye week, he's looked really healthy. The shin splints or whatever he had looks to be gone. And the explosive player that we came to love come the end of last year, he looks back. He's back, baby. And not just that, but he's showing that he's still very good in the receiving game. I mean, he is a college receiver converted into a running back. And we love those guys because they're typically very proficient in the passing game. So, Tonio Gibson, dare I say he is a top seven dynasty running back. Dare I say it? Yeah, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I'm going to say it. I, I'm going to put him ahead of Kamara. McCaffrey, Henry in the dynasty rankings. And people might think, oh, that's you're insane. Well, Antonio Gibson, what if I told you he's almost as athletic as Jonathan Taylor and as good in the receiving game as Najee Harris? Hmm? And what if I told you he's more efficient in the running game than Najee Harris? Hmm. Well, he is. So I'm going to be going with a lot of Antonio Gibson, wherever I can, wherever I can snatch my hands on him, I'm going to get him. And you should too, especially rest of the season. Go get Antonio Gibson. All right, Jacksonville, the Rams. So, you know, I, I posted this on Twitter today, but why is Urban Meyer still the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars? He said that after James Robinson fumbled the ball, that he wasn't in the game because he was hurt. But towards the end of the game, he's in playing running back when it's a blowout. And then he admits that it was probably a mistake to put him back in the game. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding, Urban. I mean, my God. I just hope that the Jaguars fire Urban Meyer that they trade away James Robinson to, I don't know, pick a team that needs a running back. <laughs> Put him on the Seahawks. You know, maybe that and some offensive line help would convince Russell Wilson to stay and firing Pete Carroll, of course. But what if they traded for James Robinson? 
That would be very interesting. Very, very interesting. You get some offensive line help in the draft. You fire P. Carroll. Bada bing, bada boom. Russell Wilson stays your quarterback. It's conceivable. Just saying. I think that would be great for James Robinson. It would be great for all the Travis Etienne owners out there. <coughs> Hello. Um, and firing Urban Meyer is just the right thing to do. Okay. We've seen enough to know he sucks as an NFL head coach. So Jacksonville, you need to do the right thing. You need to fire Urban Meyer, who would rather give Carlos Hyde nine carries and one reception because he coached him at Ohio State 10 years ago. Okay, dude. Okay. Sonny Michelle proved to me that it really does not matter who the running back is for the Rams because that offensive line is so good and Sean McVay is a master at scheming things open for running backs. And I mentioned this with Jonathan Taylor, how the blocking grades in the run game for offensive linemen compared with running back yards over expected is a very good indicator of success. Daryl Henderson under those parameters is actually well below league average in rushing ability. He's gaining far less yards over expected than the league average, especially taking into account how good the offensive line is. Sony Michelle, on the other hand, has actually been better, but he's still been below league average in that sense. Now, he did have a very good game yesterday, and that kind of brought his numbers back up to just below league average. So I'm a big fan of Sony Michelle if he becomes the bell cow in any given week. My assumption is that Daryl Henderson will be active again um, and actually have a role this time around for their next game. But Sonny Michelle did prove that whoever is the bell cow for the Rams is a bonafide RB1. Bonafide. That's it. And then really the last guy I want to talk about in this game is Laquan Treadwell, who was the so-called bust of the decade for the Vikings. They drafted him in the first round in 2016, and he did absolutely nothing. Oh, wait. He caught one career touchdown with the Vikings. My bad. My bad. My bad. But Laquan Treadwell was a physical, strong, contested catch receiver coming out of Ole Miss who ran a 4-7, if I recall correctly. Maybe a 4-6, but it wasn't good. And I don't think he ever should have been drafted in the first round. But in the five years that he's been in the league, it's showing that he's become not only more physical, but he's become quicker, he's more agile, he's more explosive. And not only that, but he outsnapped Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chanel and out-targeted them. And he's done this for two weeks now. And he seemingly has the trust not only of Trevor Lawrence, but of the coaching staff. And Take it for what you want, but Urban Meyer is singing Laquan Treadwell's praises, saying that he's the hardest working guy in the NFL, which, take again, take it with a grain of salt, but you don't just say that to say that. That does mean something, and when you pair it with Treadwell's production and the target share that he's accruing and the snap share that he's accruing and the draft capital and the fact that people did think maybe he's not a first-round pick, but he could be a second- or third-round pick, I'm going to take a gamble on that guy for the rest of the year. Now, I picked him up. And I 
spend a considerable amount of my fab to do so. Almost like a third of my remaining fab. So I'm all in on Laquan Treadwell. I think he is the wide receiver one for the Jaguars for the rest of the way. Not that that means much, but maybe he's still on this team next year, has a significant role with better offensive line, with Trevor Lawrence a year matured, with Trevor, uh, not Trevor, with Travis Etienne back. You, you never know. So this is the time to capitalize on players that you believe in, even if the results aren't there right now. It just happens to be where I believe in Laquan Treadwell and the results are showing up, perhaps not in the huge 20-point way, but it is showing up through the target share and through the snap share. Baltimore-Pittsburgh. Again, I really don't have anything to take away from this game. Lamar Jackson was mediocre. Ben Roethlisberger scored more fancy points than him. How many of you thought that would happen, right? Najee Harris. Um, I've been saying this for a while, but it's all volume for him. And efficiency be damned. It's really him and James Conner where... It doesn't matter how inefficient they are in the running game. They're going to produce points because they're good receivers and they score touchdowns. Is that a formula for success in Dynasty? Well, it's going to be put to the test here with Najee Harris. Um, I'm seeing some takes out there that Javante is better than Najee. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I'm close to it. Like, I really do believe in Javante Williams, who we'll get to in a second. But Najee Harris, the the yards overexpected, is well below league average like it is with Daryl Henderson. And that's also with a bad offensive line. So that's also accounting for the bad offensive line. So take that as you will. But he's averaging 3.6 yards a carry. And the yards overexpected is atrocious. His receiving work is what's keeping him viable, and the touchdowns are helping him get there. But Najee Harris as a dynasty running back? Yeah, I would make a case that maybe Javante Williams is a better dynasty commodity than Najee Harris. I might be at that level yet. To be determined. To be determined. We'll see. We'll see. Again, really nothing else to break down from that game. So we'll move to Seattle and San Francisco. And the first thing I'll start with is Kyle Shanahan, for as confusing as he is with his running backs, when he chooses a running back, that running back is the bell cow for however long they're healthy. So we're seeing that with Elijah Mitchell. I don't think there was another running back that got a carry on the team. In fact, that's correct. It was just Elijah Mitchell who got all the carries and he got some targets to go along with it. So as long as Elijah Mitchell's healthy, he is the bell cow. And he's incredible. He really is incredible. He's averaging 4.6 yards a carry this year. He's showing that he's really strong in the receiving game. He's got 18 targets and 17 receptions. So he's very effective there. I really like Elijah Mitchell. I was sold on him. During the pre-draft process, you can just ask Badger. I'm not saying that my opinion affected Badger in selecting Mitchell, but maybe he heard through the grapevine that I liked him. But I traded for him. I got 
him and Zach Wilson, I traded a first round pick and people thought that I was trading primarily for Zach Wilson and that might still be the case, but Elijah Mitchell, uh, making that trade look a lot more even, not, not lopsided my way, but even it's a first round pick. So that's a decent amount to pay, but Wilson and Mitchell together long-term. Yeah. I, I think you can make a case. And Question I want to pose to all of you is Elijah Mitchell a top 12 dynasty running back? Very close. Very, very close. I don't know if I'm there yet, but very close. Brandon Ayuk is awesome. And for those who said that he's just a failed punt returner, you all can go stick it. Just go stick it, okay? Brandon Ayuk has been a... I think he's been the wide receiver 13 since, let me see what week, since week nine. So that's that's a decent amount of time. Brandon Ayuk has been a borderline wide receiver one, wide receiver two. So y'all can stick it. But, and that's been with Debo Samuel healthy. This is the first game where he wasn't healthy and Brandon Ayuk still had a pretty good target share. The production wasn't necessarily there, but... Look at some of those passes, and that's most of those are not Brent Ayuk's fault, okay? But love Ayuk, but obviously the star of this game, George Kittle. I mean, holy crap, George Kittle. He's back. Not that it wasn't not that it was a question, but George Kittle went healthy as a top three tight end. And actually, I would probably put him number two behind Kelsey in terms of overall talent. In terms of talent, I'd go Kelsey, Kittle, Gronkowski, Waller, Hawkinson, Fan, Goddard. I, I think that's where I'm at with overall talent for the tight ends. But he's awesome. We knew this. And the fact that he's fully healthy, it's a great sign. Great sign of things to come. And what I love about San Francisco is the targets are consolidated between four guys. It's Mitchell, Ayuk, Samuel, and Kittle. That's the max. We only want four guys per passing game to have viability. Ideally, we'd like to have three, but with how efficient each of these guys are in the receiving game, you can deal with the four guys in the passing game. And we love that. So that's why Mitchell, Samuel, uh, Ayuk and Kittle are all viable in fantasy and each are incredibly valuable at their positions. So the 49ers are a really good team for fantasy low key better than the <laughs> better than the Seahawks. Might I add um, Russell Wilson played a better game than Jimmy Garoppolo yet still finishes with less fantasy points than Garoppolo. Um, they won this game, but my God, it was just not impressive in the slightest. And I know that Wilson threw two touchdowns and he was very effective, 30 for 37, 231 yards. But this running a game just sucks beyond belief. And so that's why I think a offensive line focus on the draft, you trade for James Robinson you fire Pete Carroll. You get an offensive-minded coach in there. They they need a lot of help in the running game. And Chris Carson ain't the answer, by the way. He, he's 
you don't just come back from a serious neck injury where you needed surgery and up oh, I'm back. That's not, that's not how this works. So I'm off Carson. I'm off this entire running game. Shot Penny's toast. Travis Homer's the only guy with juice in this entire backfield. And he's more of a satellite plus back. He's like a lesser Kenny Gainwell, which sure that has some value. But any pure runners in here, get out of here. We have we'll want nothing to do with them. Um, and <laughs> folks, if you're not starting Lockett and Metcalf, you're idiots. Okay. As bad as the running attack is for the Seahawks and as bad as Russell Wilson has looked at times, number one, Wilson looked really good. And number two, these guys have such boom potential that you really need to wait out those bad weeks that they have to enjoy those 30 to 40, 50 point in some cases, explosions from these guys. So do not sit them. Keep the faith in Metcalf and Lockett. Two more games to go through here. So the Broncos and Chiefs. The Broncos suck, but we knew that. Um, Teddy Bridgewater is not the answer. I would love to see this offense with Drew Locke. And I know that sounds insane, but that's where we are with Teddy Bridgewater. We know what he is. And he's going to cap the value of everyone in this passing attack. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sun, Tim Patrick, Noah Fant, Albert Akui Boonham. He's going to sap the value of each of those guys because he targets all of them. All of them. Drew Locke, when he was the quarterback, was far better for the receivers because he consolidated to two or three guys. So instead of it going to seven guys or whatever with Teddy Bridgewater, it would just be Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, a little bit of Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon sprinkled in. That's it. That's not the case with Bridgewater. So for fantasy purposes and just, I think, real life, I think the Broncos owe it to Drew Locke to give him one more shot. I really do. Because if they put him in there, it's going to be the best team that he's played with ever. So you might as well see what you have. Because this quarterback class coming in to the 2022 draft is not the solution. I promise you that. And you cannot go into this offseason putting everything on getting either Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers. You can't do it. So you might as well see what you have in, in Drew Locke. But the guy to focus on here is Javante Williams. And I've brought it up a number of times, but he is a top five dynasty running back for me at this point. I've seen enough where if and when Melvin Gordon leaves this team or if he's continually hurt, we now know that Javante Williams is a monster not only on the ground, but in the receiving game as well. And he's just awesome. Bottom line, he's awesome. So, Badger, you got it right with Javante. Congratulations. Excellent job. Um, but Javante Williams is the truth. All right, that's that's it. That's all we need to know about this game. There's literally nothing to focus on with the, with the Chiefs. Just what a disappointing season for Patrick Mahomes. The seventh or the sixth quarterback right now in fantasy. And he was going as the QB1 in the third freaking round. If you were that guy drafting Patrick Mahomes in the third round of seasonal leagues, you're an idiot. You're an idiot then, you're an idiot now. 
Don't talk to me if you drafted Patrick Mahomes in the third round. And then lastly, the Bills and, and Patriots. I don't even want to talk about this game. I mean, what extenuating factors and unique situation. Mac Jones, two pass attempts. <clears throat> Disgusting. Josh Allen at least attempted 30 passes. I, I, again, I'm not going to glean anything from this game. Um, Zach Moss and Devin Singletary are not the answer. Matt Breida, I, I know he fumbled that, but you know what? Devin Singletary has had triple the amount of fumbles of Matt Breida this season. So to criticize Matt Breida and not give him an opportunity when he's the far more explosive running back, and everyone inside of Buffalo, outside of Buffalo agrees with that. Give Matt Breida the ball, okay? Devin Singletary is terrible. He's a slow, small back who doesn't break tackles and is just okay in the passing game. Zach Moss is better in the passing game, but he's also a slow trotter. He's not that big, and he doesn't break tackles. So I don't know what they're waiting for, but if you're looking for those explosive plays, as we saw in New Orleans, you better give the ball to Matt Breida if you're giving it to anybody in that backfield. Damian Harris is really good, but we knew this. We knew this. I mean, he's averaging 4.6 yards a carry this year, averaged 5 yards a carry last year. He's been much more productive in the passing game this year, albeit, you know, he's just slightly above average this year than well below average like he was last year. And Ramondre Stevenson, um... Look, I know that everyone says he looks good, but here's the fact, okay? The fact is that he's used in a way that will maximize his usage. He's kind of like that receiver that the team schemes plays open for because I can tell you this. Ramonje Stevenson is not explosive. He's not a good athlete. He's just big. That's all he is. He's big. And... You saw when you have a normal run defense like the Bills had, where they're focusing, they're keying in, they're eyeing in on that run. Even with as good of an offensive line as the Patriots had, Stevenson had trouble really getting anything going on the ground. He averaged less than four yards a carry. His rush yards over expected is below average for the season. So... I'm not in on Ramondre Stevenson. And if you have him in Dynasty, this is a perfect time to sell high. Assuming that you can still trade. But let's say that Ramondre Stevenson has a good, you know, solid end to his season. What do you think you could get for Ramondre Stevenson in a trade in Dynasty? I think there would be that one guy in the league, maybe a Patriots fan, an irrational Patriots fan, which we know there's plenty of them. What if he were to get a first-round pick, a late first-round pick, early second-round pick for Andre Stevenson? I could absolutely see someone giving that up for Andre Stevenson. If you get that offer, I will shame you if you do not accept it right away. You smash that accept button. You cash in on a guy that I don't think is all that athletic. <sighs> okay. So an hour and 11 minutes into this podcast, I still haven't talked about the league specifically, <laughs> but I will run down each of the situations for the remaining playoff spot between Chris and Andy, and then break down the last place finish between myself, Leo and Pete. So 
for Chris to lose this last playoff spot to Andy, a couple of things need to happen here. So Andy would need to go 2-0. and Chris would need to go 0-2. And Andy would need to outscore Chris by... Actually, he wouldn't have to outscore him because Andy has more points for than Chris. So that's an interesting twist here. So if Andy goes 2-0 and Chris goes 0-2, Andy will have won that last playoff spot. I would put the chances of that happening at around 15%. I'd say greater than 10%. Anything can happen. And Andy has a great team. And Chris's team has shown on occasion that uh, they could have some bad weeks, right? They're, they're not necessarily the most consistent team. They're a pretty volatile team. So it's possible, but I don't see both those things happening. As for last place, Pete is in it. He's got a, He's trailing Leo by one game to get out of 12th place. And a lot would have to happen for Pete to um, get out of that spot. So basically what would have to happen is um, he'd have to go 2-0. So he has to go 2-0 one way or another. Whether you're talking about compared to me or compared to Leo. He has to go 2-0. If he goes 1-1, he's essentially clinched that playoff spot or that punishment spot. He's getting the date with Donna. So he has to go 2-0 against either myself or Leo to get out of 12th. He then has to outscore Leo by, let's see, 42 points. So Leo Leo cannot go 2-0. He'd have to go 1-1. P would have to go 2-0. And P would have to outscore Leo by 42 points. Okay. Now, if Pete goes two and zero, and if Leo goes zero and two, then you don't have to worry about the points for Pete will have surpassed Leo, and he'd be in eleventh place. Now, in order for Pete to overtake me, I'm in tenth place. I'd have to go zero and two. Pete would have to go two and zero, and he'd have to outscore me by ninety six points, almost ninety seven points. So I would put the chances of Pete coming out of last place at about. Nine, ten percent. Far less than what I would do for Chris and Andy. You know, Andy getting that spot. I said fifteen percent. I think this is more around the nine to ten percent because a lot of things need to go Pete's way and a lot of things need to break against myself and Leo. And the complicated part about this is that I play Leo. So wait a minute. Hold ho. Wait a minute. I'm just having this come to Jesus moment. So Leo would have to beat me in our matchup to have a chance. If I beat Leo, that's it. But oh wow. So the fact I, I'm just coming to this is my come to Jesus moment here in this scenario. So um it would be uh, you know, I, I have Pete's pick. So I have to think about this methodically. Do I want to try to beat Leo so bad that 
Pete, if he goes 2-0, has a chance to get out of 12th place. I don't know. I guess we'll just have to find out for week 14 of the PNC Dynasty League 2021.